So tonight we're going to look at a text from the Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read John chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 15. This is a pretty well-known story. Even if you haven't been in church for a while, you might have heard at least parts of this story from John's Gospel. So give this text your attention as I read it, and then we'll pray and ask God to bless us as we study it together. And then we'll jump in, okay? So John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we pray now that you would come and help us to understand what you are saying to us here. Father, tonight... Some of us perhaps are coming to this story, uh, maybe reading it for the first time or for the first time in a long time, and we ask that you would grant understanding, that you would change hearts and minds as we hear from you in this passage. Some of us have heard this story and read it many, many, many times. Some of us perhaps have even taught it before. And Lord, if we're very familiar with this text, we ask that you would use it in our lives as well to equip us and to nourish us and to grant to us faith. Lord, tonight some of us come wondering if you are really out there, wondering if you are good. Some of us come doubting. Some of us come sad. Some of us come angry. Some of us undoubtedly are here and we're fairly pleasant right now. Lord, no matter where we're coming from, emotionally tonight or spiritually tonight, we ask that you would come and work in our lives and help us to believe not, that, not just that this story is something that really happened, but that it is ultimately meaningful for us now, no matter what we're going through or experiencing. And we ask that you would do these things because you are gracious and kind. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My name's Luke, and I am a born-again Christian. 87% of people surveyed in a recent study in America said that if they have a new neighbor that tells them something like that, my name is Luke, and I'm a born-again Christian, they don't want to live with that person any longer. They would rather not have that person move in next door. 
The idea of being a born-again Christian is an idea that in our culture right now has, has a lot of baggage. It has a lot of, a lot of cultural freight to it. Um, it's taken on sort of a life of its own. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Why would anyone want to associate with, much less be, a born-again Christian? You know, ever since politicians started using that phrase regularly in the late 70s and early 80s, it has morphed into something really quite different than what Jesus intends here in John 3 when he uses that exact same terminology. You know, probably today when the average American person thinks of what it means to be born again, they think that that means someone experiences a transition to becoming a, well, a rule follower. Um, Someone who's really straight-laced and buttoned up and really doesn't want anyone else to have that much fun and wants to make sure everyone's I's are dotted and T's are crossed. It's someone who's serious about making sure the rules are kept. They're, they're traditional people. They're moral people. They're the, they're the proverbial goody-goodies. That's what it means to be born again. Others might think that it's, along with being traditional and moral, it's, it's something for someone that needs you know, an emotional crutch. Someone who's really struggled and probably isn't very educated or intellectually sophisticated and they had some religious revivalistic experience and now they feel like God is going to help them when things that they've caused to happen in their lives have gone bad. But it's really not for people that kind of know what's going on and have their intellectual act together. Being born again is not a popular thing in our culture now. But we've got to talk about it when we think about what the Bible actually says about salvation. We began this new series last week, and we're calling it So Great a Salvation. And the series is looking at six different angles, six different ways that the scriptures of Christianity, the Bible, talks about what it means to be saved. What does it mean? to be a believer in Jesus, to be a follower of Christ. Last week I showed you a painting that I looked at when I was a seminary student in Philadelphia and that every time I would look at the painting, I would notice something different about it. That's sort of like what it is. Uh, It's sort of what it's like when you read the New Testament in particular and you look at how it speaks about what it means to be saved, what it means to experience salvation. You can look at it from different angles and from different perspectives and gain new insights and new understanding each time. And so last week, we looked at the idea of union with Jesus. To be saved means that your experience is wrapped up in Jesus' experience. And tonight, we're going to look at the idea of regeneration or new birth. That word regeneration is a compound word. Re means again, and generation comes from the Greek word for to be born. It literally means to be born again, to be born a second time. That's one of the main prioritized ways that the scriptures speak to you and speak to me about what it means to experience the salvation that Jesus promises to give those who will trust him. So what does it mean to be born again? What is regeneration or the new birth? This text in John chapter 3 is 
in many ways, the classic story in the entire Bible that illustrates this point for us. And here's the main idea I want you to understand when you leave here tonight. No one can be saved unless they are born again. But new birth is available to anyone who wants it. No one can be saved unless they are born again, but new birth is available to anyone who wants it. Three big points breaking down that sentence. First, everyone needs new birth. Second, the Spirit gives new birth. And third, faith receives new birth. Okay, so let's go. First, this passage telling us about an experience Jesus had with this man, Nicodemus, tells us that everyone needs new birth. Everyone needs new birth. In in order to understand with your head and with your heart the force of Jesus' words here, you've got to understand something about the situation he's in, particularly something about this man, Nicodemus, that approaches him. And here's what you have to understand about him. If Nicodemus needed new birth, if a man like him needs to be born again, then all of us need to be born again too. You see, Nicodemus is the kind of guy that goes against everything our culture thinks about experiencing new birth, about being born again. Look at what John says to us about him. Verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. In other words, this guy is already traditional and religious and moral. And moreover, John tells us that he was a ruler of the Jews. He is, he is a member of what was then called the Sanhedrin, which was sort of like the, the Jewish Supreme Court. He was one of 70 power brokers in the theological world of ancient Israel. He was a man that, that knew his stuff. He was a man that would have been revered and venerated and looked up to by everyone in his community. And Jesus says, don't miss this, Jesus says to that man, to a man who's already very religious, very traditional, very straight-laced and buttoned up, he says to Nicodemus, a professional theologian, a lifelong student of the scriptures, a gifted teacher and preacher, to him, you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. To be born again must not mean, as many in our culture think, that you just sort of become a traditional, religious, moral person. If that's what it means, then what Jesus says to Nicodemus here would be like, it would be like one of us going to a, one of the, you know, the chief justice of the Supreme Court and saying to him, you need to become an American citizen. It's just ridiculous. It's absurd on its face. To be born again obviously isn't just sort of becoming a religious goody-goody. It means something different because the man who approaches Jesus here is the standard. He is the person par excellence of religiosity, of morality, of goodness. He is a part of the conservative, conservative established order. And Jesus says, those are the kinds of people that in particular need to experience new birth. So Jesus is approached by Nicodemus, this religious and moral superstar. And Jesus says to him, you must be born again. So the first thing you've got to get when we think about everybody, be, everybody being, needing, needing to be born again is that 
It's the traditional and religious person in particular (laughs) that needs to be born again. That's exactly who Jesus is approached by here. But there's something else you've got to see about Nicodemus. And it's found there in verse 2. Notice there that John tells us that Nicodemus, this man, came to Jesus when? By night. By night. Now, why would John throw in that seemingly random detail? It seems strange. Now, oftentimes in John's gospel, light and darkness are theological symbols for the state of a person's heart. That might be the case here with Nicodemus. I think that's probably part of what's going on, but I think there's something more to it. What's happening here is that Nicodemus, as a a member of the conservative religious ruling party, as a person who is firmly entrenched in the establishment, Nicodemus is trying... He's trying to politic Jesus here. He's trying to negotiate Jesus here. He's trying to to do sort of some backroom manipulating with Jesus here. And Jesus says to Nicodemus and says to you and says to me, point blank, you cannot enter into a relationship with me. You cannot be born again. You cannot see the kingdom by trying to negotiate a 50-50 deal. See, Jesus is approached by Nicodemus at night, and he says to Jesus, Hey, teacher, listen, we've seen some of the stuff going on. You're doing amazing things, man. I saw you turn that water into wine at the wedding. I was at the wedding. I had a, I had a chief seat. That was amazing. You're clearly a gifted teacher. I mean, clearly you couldn't do these things unless God was with you. Now, we know God's with us. This is what's between the lines. God's with us, too. So why don't we just cut a deal here at the outset of your ministry? You scratch our back, and we'll scratch your back. If you just sort of toe the line, we will make life easy for you. What do you say? So that's what Nicodemus is after here. He's he's trying to, to politic Jesus. He's trying to create a way for both his party, the Sanhedrin, the traditional religious people, and Jesus to benefit mutually together. And then Jesus says to him what seems to be a complete non sequitur. I mean, what Jesus responds with is completely unrelated, seemingly, to what Nicodemus has been trying to get across. Jesus just says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Basically, what he's saying to Nicodemus is, don't try that junk with me. And he cuts straight to the heart. He says, you cannot negotiate. You cannot politic your way into favor with the real God. You cannot work your way through political magic and through people that you know and through rubbing elbows with the powerful. You cannot work your way into a right relationship with me. No, you need something much, much more radical. You need new birth. You need to, you need to start all over at the very beginning. Everything, Nicodemus, that you've ever done in your life counts 0.0%. To entering into God's kingdom. Everyone needs to be born again. If Nicodemus needed it. If a religious superstar needed it. If someone who knew all the most powerful theologians needed it. If someone who had the Old Testament in large chunks memorized needed it. Then all of us need it. You see what Jesus is saying to you here? Listen. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you view yourself as religious or irreligious, it does not matter 
If you view yourself as traditional and conservative or liberal and progressive, it does not matter if you have a PhD in theology or if you haven't read the Bible in 20 years. It doesn't matter if you've been in church every Sunday for the last decade or if this is your first time in church in a decade. It doesn't matter if you've taught Sunday school, if you've been baptized, if you've memorized your catechism, if you raised your kids in the church and you were raised in the church by your parents. None of that matters when it comes to standing right before God. None of that matters when it comes to entering into God's kingdom. All that matters, according to Jesus, is whether or not you've experienced a second birth. Everyone needs the new birth. Second, the Spirit gives it. Nicodemus is confused. Look at verse 4. He said to Jesus, now sort of the politicking is over. The games that he's trying to play are done. And he becomes real, in a sense, and asks, you know that that famous saying, there are no stupid questions? This one pushes the envelope, right? Um, There might be. And Nicodemus is being honest here. He's saying, how can a man be born when he's old? What you're saying to me, Jesus, it makes no sense. And I'm a religious man. I've been studying the scriptures my whole life. Can he, and this is probably sarcastic, can he enter a second time? Into mom's belly? Is that what you're trying to say, Jesus? Wow, that's so brilliant of you. Thank you for that amazing insight. And then Jesus simply repeats to him. Notice the same words. Truly, truly, I say to you, that's said with emphasis, unless one is born of water and what? The spirit. The spirit. He cannot. He is not able to enter the kingdom of God. The nature of Nicodemus's question here shows his ignorance. His question again shows that he assumes that he can do what it takes and that he has within himself what matters to enter into God's kingdom, to be saved. He basically says, well, that's strange, Jesus. How can anyone do what you're saying someone needs to do? And Jesus says, that is exactly the point. Everyone needs to be born again. But you have about as much of a chance of birthing yourself a second time as you did birthing yourself the first time. You are about as active in your new birth as you were in your old birth. The chances of you experiencing what I am saying here is required for salvation is zero if you think that you can do it in and of yourself. And so he says, it's not you that gives yourself new birth any more than it was you that gave yourself first birth. It's the Spirit. Spirit that gives this regeneration, this New birth, verse 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Do not marvel that I say to you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And when Jesus uses those words there, water and Spirit, that's a very frequently debated issue amongst Bible scholars, people that write books about this story. But really what Jesus is referring to here is an Old Testament story, particularly an Old Testament prophet whose name was Ezekiel. You might have heard of him. He's got a big book in the Old Testament. And Ezekiel, in chapter 36 of his prophecy, talks about the people of God being purified as God sprinkles clean water on them. And he says to them, you're a rebellious people, you're a stiff-necked people, but God says to me, people of God, God says to me, church, 
this is Ezekiel speaking, that one day he is going to come and he is going to do what is required for you to enter into his presence. He is going to make you pure. He's going to sprinkle water on you. And then in the very next chapter of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, go read that tonight. It's a fascinating story. God gives Ezekiel a vision. And in this vision, Ezekiel's eyes are open and he finds himself in this huge valley full of skeletons, full of dry, brittle bones. And as Ezekiel steps through the valley, he can hear the bones cracking and breaking beneath his sandaled feet. And God speaks to Ezekiel in the vision. Ezekiel, can you make these bones live? Can you give flesh and blood and life again to these dry, brittle bones strewn all over this valley? And Ezekiel says, no, God, absolutely not. And God says, that is exactly what I can and will do for a dead, perishing people who are far from me. You see, what Jesus is saying here in bringing in that story is simply this. The only way, or the only chance you have to experience the new birth that you must have if you want to enter the kingdom, if you want to be saved, is to let God do it for you. But the possibility, again, of you birthing yourself again, of you experiencing new birth on your own is about as likely as those dry bones in Ezekiel's vision magically just putting themselves back together and creating flesh and blood and skin. It is, it is the Spirit that has to do it for you. What does that mean? What does it mean that everyone needs new birth and the Spirit's the one that gives it? Listen, it means this, again, among other things. You are free to admit that you can't fix yourself. Christianity frees you in a glorious way, actually. To be able to confess that your life is a mess and you can't put it back together. In fact, it says something much, much more significant about your life. You're not just a mess, you are dead. You're just as dead internally in your spiritual self, in your heart, as the dry and dusty bones in Ezekiel's vision. You are lifeless and unable to pump spiritual oxygen back into your dead corpse. And knowing that frees you to admit your inability and to trust in the ability that only God himself has. You see, that's, that's what Nicodemus is here beginning for the first time in his life to understand. And that's what you, maybe tonight, for the first time in your life, need to understand. You cannot save yourself. God only can do it. But he's willing. The wind blows where it pleases. (laughs) Jesus says to us, wind there is the same word in the original language for spirit. And you hear his sound, but you don't know where he comes from or where he goes. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Jesus is saying here that I am the one who sovereignly determines that I will bring a dead person Back to life again. God is the one who saves us. 
You cannot give yourself new birth any more than you could give yourself old birth. You are completely passive in the experience of salvation. God and God alone saves. Everyone needs the new birth. The Spirit, and only the Spirit, gives the new birth. And so the final question then is, well, how do I get that? (laughs) Right? Sounds pretty good, I hope. I hope it's something you would want. How can I be born again? You know, and in some ways, that's what Nicodemus asks in verse 9. How can these things be? And then Jesus answered him. And so I want to show you real quick, thirdly, that faith receives new birth. Jesus answers Nicodemus, who has been totally caught off guard by a lot of what Jesus has said here. Jesus answers Nicodemus uh, by telling him in a way how we can access this new birth that the Spirit gives. We all need it. We can't get it ourselves. Only the Spirit can do it. So what do we need to do? And Nicodemus needs to understand for the first time that he can't save himself. He needs to rely on God to do it. And so Jesus here tells him how to get God to do it for you, so to speak. And he does that by telling him this really, really obscure Old Testament story from Numbers the fourth book in the Bible, chapter 21. That's what he's referring to there in verses 14 and 15 when he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In that story, the people of Israel who are wandering in the wilderness on the way to the promised land, they've rebelled against God again. And God, in an act of judgment to bring them back to himself, sends poisonous, venomous snakes through the camp, and they begin to bite the Israelites. Some of them die. Some of them are very sick. And then God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to build a bronze serpent, craft it, and put it on top of a big staff, and hold the staff up. And anyone who has been bitten by a snake and who has the poisonous venom running through their veins can look up at that serpent and be healed. And so Moses lifted up the staff, and that's exactly what happened. Jesus is recounting that story, which Nicodemus would have known well here, and saying, the real bronze serpent is me. I am going to be lifted up. Just as Moses lifted up the head of that serpent in the wilderness, so I will be lifted up. And anyone who, anyone who looks at me and really sees me, anyone who comes in faith will be healed of the poisonous venom that our sin and rebellion against God causes. You see, in order for you to be born again, Jesus had to be lifted up. Lifted up on a cross to die. Just like in our first birth, for everyone who's ever been born, the mother is the one who suffers who labors, who undergoes anguish so that birth can happen. Jesus is saying here that I am willing to undergo the labor, the anguish, the pain, even the death that your new birth will require, that will require your sin to be forgiven, that will enable you to experience life renewed. And all you must do to experience the new birth that you must have to enter the kingdom, all you need to do to experience salvation is look to me. See me there on the cross and believe, trust that I am who I say I am and that I've done what I came to do.
and the because I died on the cross, any who come to me will be forever pardoned. Because I was raised up from the dead to new life, any who trust me will experience new life forever as well. You know, our theology actually teaches us that before we can even begin to believe that, God already has to be at work through his Holy Spirit. Perhaps he's at work right now helping you to maybe understand for the first time or refreshing you again in the understanding that God has done everything that's necessary to be done for you to experience the new birth. God has labored. God has suffered. God has, in a way, become your mother so that you can experience new life forever. You see, friends, that's what the Bible means when it speaks about grace. You don't have to do anything to earn it. God gives it to you. Brennan Manning wrote an outstanding book a couple of decades ago now called The Ragamuffin Gospel. I'd encourage you to read it. And uh, I was reading through it again this week and was struck by this paragraph. Um, I'm going to read it, and this is the last thing I'm going to say because I think it, it makes the point that I'm trying to make well and somewhat provocatively. Listen to him. Because salvation is by grace through faith, I believe that among the countless number of people standing in front of the throne and in front of the Lamb, dressed in white robes and holding palms in their hands, I shall see the prostitute from Kit Kat Ranch in Carson City, Nevada, who tearfully told me she could find no other employment to support her two-year-old son. I shall see the woman who had an abortion, and is haunted by guilt and remorse, but did the best she could to believe. The businessman besieged with debt who sold his integrity in a series of desperate transactions. The insecure clergyman addicted to being liked who never challenged his people from the pulpit and longed for unconditionally love. The abused teen molested by his father and now seeing his body on the street who as he falls asleep each night whispers the name of the God he learned about in Sunday school. The deathbed convert who for decades had his cake and ate it, broke every law of God and man, wallowed in lust and raped the earth. But now we ask, then the voice says, but how we ask, and then the voice says, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. There they are. There we are. The multitude who so wanted to be faithful, who at times got defeated, soiled by life, and bested by trials, wearing the bloodied garments of life's tribulations, but through it all clung to faith. My friends, if this is not good news to you, you have never understood the gospel of grace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, let's pray. Father, we thank you for good news that you save us, Our lives are not where we would want them to be. We are lost and wandering. We are under the influence of evil and sin. We are rebels against your will. Father, this is a harsh analysis of our condition. And yet we know that it's true when we are honest with ourselves. And we thank you that the good news tells us that even though our condition is grave, you are greater, you are mightier, and you have saved us completely of your own power, completely by your grace, not because we've done anything to earn it or deserve it, not because we presented ourselves to you as righteous, but simply because you were kind and chose to show us compassion. 
Father, grant to us, if we haven't experienced tonight, new birth. And for those of us who have experienced a new birth, help us to rejoice in the wonder of your grace. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.